The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Pray with me, please. Father, it's so good to be back with my church family, my brothers and sisters. Missed them. So good to, to be here in this moment right now. Know you're here with us, our Father, our Lord, our King, our Helper. Help us now as we look to your word. Lord, again, we thank you so much for this book. You still speak. You speak right now. You're speaking this morning. You're speaking uh, from your apostle on these pages as we meet together. And so I pray for everyone here, Lord, you'd speak to us. Speak to me right now. Uh, Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to hear your voice. Hear what you would have to say. Let us see what you've done for us, uh, what you've given us, and what you're calling us to. Help us to be legit, Lord. Help us to grow in grace. Help us to be the real thing, to follow you, to live for you, to know you, to love you, uh, to do it together, to help one another on this path. Uh, Help me, Lord, now as I teach this. Help me to teach it clearly, faithfully. Help us now, each one, to hear what you have to say. Surrender to it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I know I'm three weeks into the year, so I'm a little late to the party, but I'm still curious. How many of you made New Year's resolutions? Anyone? Oh, my goodness. So you're, you're totally different from the rest of the country. You've, all get, you've given up. You've all... <laughs> you, you know what? I have two. Okay. You've given up already. You've quit making them. That's funny. According to a Forbes article, did you know this? 45% of Americans still make New Year's resolutions. Now, we've obviously evolved beyond them and left them behind. 45%, that's a lot. You know, that's more than the number of people who watch the Super Bowl. So we love to make resolutions. And maybe if you're not making resolutions, anybody make a goal? Anybody think about making a goal? All right, I got a couple nods out there. Here's the question for you. How many of those 45% do you think achieve their goals or achieve their resolution? You know what the answer is? According to, the, according to the article, it was 8%. 8%. So we are a nation of failures. <laughs> Discouraged. But I think we learned something from this. Even if you haven't made resolutions, I think you'll resonate with this. There's something in our hearts where we want to grow. We want to get better. We want to improve. We want to move forward. We want to see change take place. Don't we? Do you have that? Some of us, we think we want to we lose weight. We want to get in shape. We want to change our diet. We want to we succeed in our business. Uh, we want to get that promotion or work on that product. Or if we're in school, we want to get that degree so that we can move on to what's next and succeed, build something, do something. It's part of being a human. We want to work on our relationships. We want more time with our family. Or maybe you're thinking of your children. You want to help your children academically or you want to help them athletically in sports. You're coaching them. We want to grow. We want to see growth. We want to see improvement. Something that goes deep in each one of us, I think. Something else that we learn about ourselves, we want to grow. We also struggle with it. 8%. 8% of the time we meet our resolutions. And then the rest of us, we've given up making resolutions because we know... We can't do it. Willpower doesn't seem to be enough. 
If I was to tell you my resolutions that I've had from the last five years, I'm not going to. They're the same. That's the embarrassing part. You know why they're the same? Because I've never made it where I thought I should be. I've never achieved it. Wow. So anyway, these, these common goals are good things, right? You want to be more healthy. You want to help your kids. You want to... You want to grow. You want to succeed. Good. I have goals like that too. But I have some questions that I was, as I was thinking about this. When you think of your goals for the next year, what you want, think of ways you want to grow, are you thinking of the right kind of growth? Are you thinking big enough? Are you thinking deeply enough? I guess I'm asking you, are you tapping in with your goals? Are you tapping into what life is all about? Are you tapping into what's most important? Is it enough just to make more money or get fit or help your kids hit home runs? Is that enough? Is that big enough? Also, second question, do we have the right power to really see this growth we want to see? I think I'm realizing in myself I don't. I can't do it. I, I can't achieve it. So I'm thinking of New Year's resolutions. I'm thinking of growth. I'm thinking of this core thing we have as humans. We want to improve, and we're going to try harder... In what ways are we trying to improve, and how are we going to do it? Huge questions. Huge questions. We're in Second Peter this morning. Second Peter is written by Jesus' apostle, Peter. And in Second Peter, he's, it's straight talk. He's getting real. He says in this letter that the end of his life is coming. Jesus told him how he was going to die. I'm very glad Jesus has not done that for me. Uh, Jesus told Peter he was going to be crucified. And Peter knew that. How many of you that would put you in the fetal position and you wouldn't be able to, to live anymore? <laughs> Peter says, it's coming. I know it's coming. And then he says, here in this passage, I know my time's short, but I want to help you to grow in what's most important. I want you to keep growing. This is the ultimate improvement growth scripture for Christians. It's all about growth. Peter shows us the ultimate thing that kind of guides how we want to grow. The big picture stuff, what's really important. And he also shows us the most effective catalyst or the power for actual growth. Do you believe you can change? Do you believe people can change? Sometimes, some of us were wondering if our spouse is ever going to change. We've been trying to change him for years. How's it going? Okay. In a, way, in a way, you kind of hit a wall of reality, right? Maybe there was a time we thought, oh, I can change people. I, I had a naivete being a pastor, um, overestimating what I could do to change people. Um, I can't really change people. I have a hard time changing myself. And so then maybe you fall into this idea, well, we can't change. It's hopeless. It's fatal. No change. Just uh, grin and bear it. Life's hard, then you die. If that's true, then we should quit. We should quit. Because you know what grace does to us? It changes us. How many of you are different because you've met Jesus? I'm different. It was slower than, I, than it should be. But it's changing me. And I've seen it change you. And so we're looking here, Peter's talking about this ultimate goal that defines why and how he wants to change and how we should change, why we should change, and then the power, the catalyst for change. 
So number one, look at the goal, okay? We're thinking, you know, I'm thinking my New Year's resolution. I'd like to drop a few pounds. I'd like to run a little more. I'd like to read a little more. I would like to, what, I would like to help my kid play baseball better. Good stuff. Don't give up on that. Go for it. But honestly, should we aim a little higher as Christians? Look at what's in Peter's mind. I think it'll blow your mind. Look at verse 14 of chapter 3. He says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, all right, so we're starting this passage, and he starts it with, Therefore, since you are waiting for these, so what should our question be? These, these. What are, what are these that we're waiting for? What is it? Okay, look up at verse 13. 2 Peter 3, verse 13, he says, But according to his promise, we are waiting for, what is it? New heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Did you expect that? This sounds strange, doesn't it? What are you waiting for? What are you hoping for? Uh, You know, a month and a half ago, I was waiting for my vacation. No, I'm waiting for the next one. Just kidding. I'm I'm not. I don't want to go on vacation right now. Um, Maybe you are. Maybe you're waiting for, uh, I want to finish school. Maybe you're waiting for the next step. Would any of you have said, man, I'm really waiting for the new planet? Really waiting for the new planet. It seems too far away, too dreamy. As Peter's facing his crucifixion, guess what he's waiting for? I'm ready for... The new planet. Because what lives there in the new planet? Did you see it? Righteousness. No more evil. No more suffering. No more sin. No more persecution. No more conflict. No more discord. No more addiction. No more brokenness, lostness. No more death. I'm waiting for that. Now what would make Peter put all his hope in something like that? Because he's put all his hope in the reality that Jesus is going to come back and make a new world. That's heaven, by the way. Uh, When I was a kid, I was kind of bummed about heaven. You know, I watched The Simpsons maybe once, and there was Homer with his harp. Um, And, you you know, you read in Revelation, I like to sing, okay, but you get the idea of just, how many of you are petrified of the idea of constant singing? You know, some of you, you're like, okay, it's better than hell, right? It's better than, than hell, but really, constant singing? It's good to remember. I want to I I help you remember. It's going to be a new world. You like some, aren't there some things to like about this world? There's some beauty. There's some adventure. There's some excitement. There's some marvelous things about living on this planet. The next one's going to be better. It's, gonna be, it's not going to be less life than this one. It's going to be more life than this one. It's going to be better life than this one. What would make Peter believe in that and long for it? Well, he lived with Jesus and saw Jesus' miracles. He, he saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus stop a storm. He saw Jesus' power over creation. He saw Jesus die on a cross and he saw him risen from the dead. He saw Jesus' power over death. He know Jesus doesn't lie. He know when Jesus comes back, Jesus will transform the earth. Now, will you just imagine with me as best you can, it's hard, what that will be like? What will it be like when Jesus comes back? 
How will you feel? I'm a little bit scared. Oh, I'm very scared. Overwhelming. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm overwhelmed. And I'm, I'm amazed at who he is. And I'm sure there's part of me that wish I'd live a little differently before he came back. Did you ever see the movie Schindler's List? Um, this German man who risked his wealth and his life to save a lot of the Jews during World War II. At the end, when it's kind of all resolving, do you remember how he feels? He wasn't like, look at me, I saved a lot of people. He looks at his gold pen and he thinks, I could, I could have saved more. Who cares about this gold pen? There's going to be a lot of that when Jesus comes back. He's coming back. Peter says, lift your eyes to that idea and let's live in the light of that. Let's make our resolutions for growth and change fit in accordance with the reality that Jesus is coming back to make a new world. You see, our whole future as Christians is grace. He's coming back for us. And he's going to make a new world for us to live in as his people. Lavish grace, it says in Ephesians, for ages and ages he will lavish his grace upon us. Live in the light of that. That's bigger than just get good grades. Now get good grades, okay? For the glory of God, but live in the light of Jesus coming back, making a new world. Unbelievable. That's where we should plug into for how we want to live. We've seen the, the kind of the goal that guides us. Now let's look at the power. What does Peter say in verse 18? I don't think this is the last step, I think this is the summary of this passage. Look at verse 18. Peter says, But grow in the what? Grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. What's the power for our change, for our growth? Grace. The grace of Jesus Christ. Grace. Grace. I've been married for almost 15 years. I've done a little bit of marriage counseling. I've learned a little bit about what actually changes people. In Scripture, kind of the opposite to grace is law. Okay? Law is getting what you deserve. You break the law, you pay for it. You keep the law, you're rewarded. I've learned over life and experience and from the Scriptures, law doesn't change people. You can motivate them with fear for a little bit or with self-righteousness for a little bit, but it doesn't change the heart. And this is ironic because especially when our relationships are rough or if you've been married and you've had a rough time in your marriage, how were you trying to change people at that time? Did you ever revert to law? No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. If my spouse would do this, then I would do that. Okay, what is that? That's law. They have to deserve your love. And man, this is, this is poison when both people are doing this. And this is what some of us are doing right now. If they change, I'll change. And the other person says, if they change, I'll change. Guess who's changing? No one. You're, well, what's changing is that you're both 
dying and you're drawing away from one another. There's only one thing that can change you. Have you ever been changed positively by someone nagging you? Now, I've been changed by someone nagging me, but the key word was positively. <laughs> okay? When I get nagged, what do I want to do? I want to run for the hills. I want to blow something up, set something on fire, right? It doesn't change you. You know what changes me? You know what melts me? Is when I'm loved even when I don't change. Grace. Grace changes. You want to see somebody change? Give them grace. Grow in grace. What is grace? Grace is the lavish, undeserved love of God for us in Jesus Christ. What's lavish mean? It's tons of it. Tidal wave. Volcanoes. Lavish. Never ends. Never ends. Lavish. Second word, don't forget it. Grace is the lavish, undeserved. And we got to pound this into our skulls every Sunday. You have to do stuff to deserve God's grace, right? Come on, doesn't God love you more this week because you did devotions three times instead of once? Doesn't he love you more? I mean, you're in church. He's got to love you more now because you're here. It's undeserved. There's nothing you can do to earn it. He loves you the same when you didn't do your devotions. It's undeserved love for us because it's in Jesus Christ. It's poured out on those who don't deserve it because, you see, here's what Jesus has done for us. He's earned it for us. That's why it's given to us because he has earned it for us. He has bought it for us. He's achieved it for us. He lived a life we couldn't live in our place. I love this. I'll never stop loving this. I have not been who I should be. Jesus was, and he's given that to me. He's given that to you through faith in him. He lived the life you couldn't live, and he's given you that credit or that standing. You're righteous before God in Jesus Christ. He died. Do you remember this? He died as a substitute for you in your place. Although the world is full of this need to atone, to make it up. Have you ever felt like you were cursed for what you did? You had to make it up to God. You had to fix it. You, could come to, you, you had to get your life back together before you came to God. Have you ever had that feeling? Let me fix myself, then I'll come to you. <laughs> Give up. You can't fix yourself enough to be right before a holy God, number one. Number two, you don't need to. Jesus has atoned for your sins in your place on the cross. All of your sins paid for through Jesus Christ. Everyone forgiven, taken away, washed clean. Jesus rose in victory, lived the perfect life, died as a substitute, rose in victory, and he's given us God's grace. Romans chapter 5, Paul says, Through Jesus we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Do you hear what he's saying? Oh, this grace in which I stand. Stand. Will you imagine this with me? If you're in Christ, if you've trusted in him, what's the bedrock of your life? Grace. You stand on it. You stand in grace. The Father's always saying to you, I love you, I forgive you, you're right with me. You stand in grace. Oh, this grace in which I stand. God's not angry, there's no condemnation. Your life's built on grace. Look at what Peter calls his audience, verse 14. Therefore, what? Beloved, verse 17, you therefore, what? 
Beloved. Now that's a super Christian-y term. Does anybody call you beloved on a normal day? If I called you beloved, how would you feel? Hello, beloved. Awkward. <laughs> What's Peter calling these people? Beloved. This is a title. It's an identification. It's a label. What defines these people? These are just normal people in Asia. They're probably poor. They're probably persecuted. They don't have it all together. They're not super successful. What are they called? Therefore, come on, what's he calling them? Beloved. What, what is the main thing about these people? What sets them apart? Therefore, you super rich, successful people. You people who have it all together people. You super churchy, churchy awesome people. He is saying to them, you know what's different about you? You know what's unique about you? Is you're so loved. You're so loved. Are you listening to me right now? If you trust in Jesus Christ, you know what your title is? You, you are the people who are loved by God. He loves you. Man, he loves you. Let's just call you the loved people. He gave his son for you. He loves you. You stand in grace, it's almost awkward. Will you let yourself eat it? Will you let yourself take it? That you're loved, deeply loved. You stand in grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, so now that you stand in grace, what does Peter tell us to do? It? Hey, do you stand in grace? Jesus is coming back. He's going to get you in grace, make you a new planet. All by grace. What should you do now? Grow in grace. So now that you already have it, what should you do with it? Grow. You're already standing in it. You already have it in Jesus Christ. What should you do with it? Grow. Grow in grace. It's like, man, don't just sit there. You've been given a meal. What should you do with the meal? Eat it. You've been given a car. What should you do with the car? Drive it. You've been given a new life. What should you do with it? Live it. Grow in grace. This is what, as I was reading and praying, this is just what landed on me. My life, my heart for this year. I want to grow in grace. That's, my, that's what I'm asking God for in our church. More extra growth in grace. Let's get practical. How do we grow in grace? What do we do with it? I think we can sum this up in three different words from this text. Three different ways to practically grow in grace. Number one, diligence. Number two, trust. Number three, protect. Diligence, trust, protect. Do you want to grow in grace with me? You have it. You want to grow in it. You want to change. You want to be changed by God's grace. Here's three ways to do it. Practical ways. Number one, diligence. Look at verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be what? Diligent. To be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So what's diligent mean? It's something like you're, you're not quitting. And you're not apathetic, right? You're paying attention. 
you're, you're getting down to the nuts and bolts about things, you, you care. You're not stopping. Diligent. Be diligent to be found by him. Remember when he comes? What do you want to be like when Jesus comes? You don't want to be like reading the magazine and be like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I wasn't looking at that. Okay. You don't want to be like, you stupid. Oh, I, I love you with the love of the Lord. Right? How do you want to be found when he comes back? Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Now, he's not telling you to take more showers. What's the spot or the blemish stand for? Yeah, it's the dark spots in your life. You still got dark spots? Do you have blind spots? Stuff that you, habits, right? Things you fall into. To, you wouldn't want us to see those. Dark spots. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish by grace. Grow in grace because you already have grace. Okay, you're not, you're not cleaning yourself to get grace. You're doing this because you have grace. Rub out those sins. Listen, God's grace reorients our hearts, right? We, we know God as Father by his grace, and so we want to please him. We want to please him with our motives, our thoughts, our words, our deeds, our goals. We want to please him. We want to be pleasing to him in every way. So, I, so take, that, take that rag of God's grace and look at the dark spots of your life and think of rubbing it out and be like, all right, I got, do you have an anger problem? Lord God, show me how that grace wipes that out. Replace that. You got a bitterness problem. If people, people rub you the wrong way, man, they're going to pay for it. Take God's grace that he's won for you and rub it on that spot. Maybe circumstances own you. You're caught by the waves of what happened. Look, by God's grace, own the circumstance. Be diligent. Peter's saying here, be diligent to please God in every aspect of life. That's the question. How can I please you? And then don't just apply your willpower. I'm going to do it right this time. No, lean on his grace. His love for you that you already have in Jesus Christ. Scrub out those spots. Peter says, be uh, without spot or blemish. And then he says, be at peace. What do you think that means? I think we should probably take it in two ways. One is your heart. How many of you are anxious? (laughs) You're nervous. You got stuff out there that's scary. And I don't know how it's going to go, right? But we do know this. God loves you. You're beloved. He knows. He knows you. He loves you. And however it goes, you can know this. Jesus is coming back for you, and he's going to make you a new planet. If you believe that, would that give you some peace? Could you handle it? Be at peace. It's all right. It's all right. He loves you. Number two, I think we'd have to think about peaceful relationships. Because of Jesus Christ, we're at peace with God. It's all good with God through Christ. What should we be like towards one another? Be at peace towards one another. Maybe there's somebody you need to forgive. Don't just try to do that by willpower. Don't do that by looking at what they've done to you. You won't be able to do it. Apply grace. 
I've been forgiven by, I've been forgiven so much, so much by God through Jesus. Man, he's forgiven me of all my sins. Because I've been so forgiven, I can forgive. Let's be at peace. Let's let it go. I'm going to let it go. You got a list of rules against the people out there in your life? You have a list of grievances you're keeping? Grow in grace. Apply the grace you've received to that. Show that grace you've been shown. Be at peace. Be diligent to be pleasing to God in every aspect of your life. It's a major way to grow in grace. Apply his grace to all those spots. What's one way you'd like to apply that this week? If you got to write that down, what would you say? I want to grow in grace here. What would it be? Don't let that up. Keep that. Let's grow in grace. I got an application for you too. Think about joining a growth group. Think about spending some time once a week with other Christians. Share life a little bit. And talk about how to apply scripture in our lives and support one another. You know what? If you invest in that, I sound like a commercial, but it's true. It's God's will. If you invest in that, you'll grow. Not only that, you'll help others grow. That's how it works. We grow through his word combined with prayer, combined with community. Think about signing up for one of those. But number one, grow in grace. Be diligent to please God in every aspect of your life. Second way to grow in grace, the word trust. Look at verse 15. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. Okay, so what's Peter waiting for? This is what, 40 A.D. or something? 60 A.D. or something? I don't know. What is he waiting for? Remember, the return of Jesus. Okay. How long's it been? Is he ever going to come back? <laughs> it's been 2,000 years. Is he going to come back? Is this real? He's waited so long. The Bible shows us about Abraham and Sarah. God promised, you're going to have a kid. And they waited and waited and waited. What happened? What happened as they waited? They began to think, it's, it's not coming. We have to do our own thing. Have you ever been made to wait so long that you wanted to give up? And then maybe it still came? As we grow in grace, Peter says, you need to have the right perspective on, on God's delay. Why does he wait? You know, we look at the world today, it's a mess. Why does he wait? Why does he wait? Here's the answer. Verse 15, count the patience of our Lord as what? Salvation. How is the patience of the Lord salvation? My family spent two days in London on the way to Uganda. It was a blast. We had one sort of scary moment. Anybody ever been to London? Judah calls them the underground trains. Okay, they're awesome. Um, you take the subway. But you gotta, you got to be quick on your feet when you take these things. Because it stops, the doors open, and if you're like, hey, let me check my email, door shut, and we're moving on. So here's what happened. Thank God it happened this way. We get up, we're going to go to um, see Big Ben and all that. And Marsha and Emma 
and Judah walk off. And Jackson and Katie were a little slower getting up. And my foot hit the step. And there's part of my family. And there's the other part of my family. And the door shuts. (laughs) Praise God, I stayed on the train. (laughs) And so we were separated for a little bit. No big deal. We knew where we were going. Adults with some kids and other adults with the other kids. We'll make it. We'll be fine. Oh, dear God, thank you. That I waited. That I didn't step off the train. Oh my gosh, what a nightmare. If I'd stepped off and my two little kids were shooting along on the subway in London. Do you know what? I would never get off that train without my kids. The door could squeeze me in half, right? I'd be wriggling, but I wouldn't leave. Are you glad Jesus has waited to come back? Some of us are new Christians. What if he'd come back before you'd converted? Some of us had some rebellious streaks. Who who knows how God's salvation works? What if he'd What if he'd come back? See, he's not going to come back until he saved every one of his kids. He won't come back. He won't step off the train until he has all of his children. Do you know why he waits? He's saving people all over the world. He's saving people. So great to go to a Ugandan church and worship with Ugandans and meet Sudanese Christians. Man, those people have suffered more than we can fathom. They love Jesus so much. He's saving people all over the world. How are you supposed to count God's salvation? Why is he waiting? Or how are you supposed to count God's patience? Why is he waiting? To save. He's saving people. Wow. No, okay, apply this. How should you respond? Well, number one, I feel thankful. I'm glad he's waited and brought me in. I'm thankful he's brought you in. What's the other application? Jesus is waiting to come back because he's working to save. What should we be doing? We should be working to join him in seeing others get saved. Do your resolutions or your goals include sharing the gospel with those who don't know it? Does it include inviting people to church? I think we should be passionate about invitation. There's a poll that said 67% of Americans say a personal invitation from a family member would be very or somewhat effective in getting them to visit church. 63% of Americans say a personal invitation from a friend or neighbor would be very or at least somewhat effective in getting them to church. So you got a 6 out of 10 chance. 6 out of 10. Are you inviting people to hear the gospel? Do, do we have something that we can offer people? Here? We're flawed, we've got problems, we don't have it all together, we don't do everything right. Do we have anything to offer? Gosh, we know the gospel. We have somewhat of a gospel-centered community that loves each other. It's just the two biggest things in the world. Invite. Get passionate about it. Seek the lost. 
I read something that's kind of cliche, but hit me up a little bit. If God answered every single one of your prayers from yesterday, how many new Christians would there be? Are you embarrassed? He waits because he's working to save. Let's be thankful. Let's join him. Ways to go in grace. Be diligent to please him in every aspect of life. Trust that he waits because he's working to save. Number three, third word, protection. Protection? Yes, protection. Follow along with me, verses 15 to 17. Count the patience of our Lord is salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. Now Peter's going to talk about Paul's letters, okay? Verse 16, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Let's pause there. You ever read the Bible and thought, this is hard to understand? Amen. It's biblical. (laughs) Didn't say impossible to understand. Said hard to understand. It is. It takes work. But what do some people do with it? Hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do all the other scriptures. In Peter's day, false teachers were twisting scripture. In everyday sense, Peter's day, false teachers have been twisting scripture. All right, think of the voices that speak to you every week. Voices, friends telling you what life's about, what you should live for, what you should do, what you should value the most, what you should look like, what you should wear, what your kids should do, friends, family. Have you got in-laws, parents telling you? Some of us, some of us have great in-laws and parents telling us great things, and some of us don't. <laughs> and they're telling you, and you're, and you're hearing it. The radio, you're listening to the radio. The lyrics on the songs are telling you what's beautiful, what's good, how you should live, what you should value. TV shows are telling you. And the movies are telling you. And the commercials, commercials especially, are telling you what you should look like, what you should live for, what's important, how you should do things, what what your kids should be. They're telling you. All these voices are telling you. And you're hearing them all the time. You almost can't help it. They're inundating. They're shouting to you. God speaking too. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to the most? Whose communication is most fundamental? What are you basing your life on? Everybody's telling you something. A lot of them are telling you lies. The way to know what's true, what life is all about, who you are, what you live for, you've got to listen to your Father. You've got to listen to the Lord in his word. Look at verse 17. Peter says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand. Okay, what do you know beforehand? People are going to tell you lies. So what should you do? Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own, what? Stability. What do we stand in? Grace. In Christ, we stand in grace. That's a stable place to be. Oh, it's so stable. Rock solid. I know who I am. I know what he's done for me. I know what I'm supposed to live. I stand in grace. If you listen to the wrong voices, you lose that stability. Protect it. 
One way to grow in grace is to protect your stability in that grace. And in context here, that means listen well to the word of God. Listen well. Come on, don't you know this is true? Don't you know this is true? I've heard this so many times. You meet with somebody, they're not doing well. They're not doing well at all. Come on, this is how it goes, right? Well, are you spending any time reading the word? What's the answer? Most of the time, no. You spend any time praying, seeking God, drawing near to him, trying to be in his presence? No, no, I'm not. Protect your stability. Listen, we don't do devotions or whatever you want to call them so that God will like us. We have that in Christ. We do them so that we can grow in grace and be stable in knowing who he is and what he's done for us. And so Peter here is saying, grow in grace, protect your stability. Application. Make a plan for spending time with God. Doesn't have to be in the morning. Doesn't have to be two hours. Spend time with God. Encounter his word. Listen, you want a good phone app? There's some great phone apps. You version. Read the Bible on your phone. Listen to it in the car. There's a thousand ways you can do this. Do it. Protect your stability. It's a major way we grow in grace. Spend time with God. If you need help, I will help you in any way that I can. Make a plan and protect that stability. Do you see what he's saying? Because we have the grace of God in Christ, we are beloved. Grow in grace. Be diligent to please him in everything. Trust that his patience is salvation. Protect your stability. Because here's what happens when we do that. Verse 18. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever, to the day of eternity. Glory is the, the power word of the Bible. It's the awe factor of the Bible. God is glorious. If you were to see him, you'd be overwhelmed by his beauty, his majesty. Ah, you'd be so full of joy. You'd be thrilled. That's the goal. We rejoice, Paul says, in the hope of the glory of God. I just want to see him. How many of you feel that way? You just, that's, the, that's the big adventure right there, to see him. When we grow in grace, Peter's saying God is glorified. So we get to see and enjoy God's beauty. And not only that, Everybody else who encounters us gets to see it in us as well. He's glorified. You know, so many people say, oh, church, a bunch of hypocrites. I went to church once. They hurt me. I'm never going back. And that's happened. Don't you want to be the kind of church where people said, God looked really amazing from that church. God looked real because of that church. Grow in grace. And God gets glorified. But here's another thing that's often about this is, I know and believe that God loves his glory. He should. He loves his own glory. He's passionately committed to his glory in everything that he does. And the word here is also said that when we grow in his grace, his lavish, undeserved love, he gets glorified. Okay, so put this together. God is passionate about his glory. And when we grow in his grace, we glorify him. What is he passionate about? He's passionate about us growing in grace. Because that brings him glory. Who wants you to change the most? To be more like Jesus. God does. Every fiber of who he is, he wants you to grow in his grace. 
Let's join him. Let's go. When he saves us, that's all his work. We don't do it, we just receive it. But as we're getting changed, that's a partnership. Let's go after it. Let's grow in grace. Because our lives are defined by God's grace, let's grow in it. Let me finish with a couple of thoughts. Number one, if you're not a Christian, trust your life to Jesus. Receive his grace. If you're thinking right now, you're too bad, you mess it up too much, it's not true. Jesus lived a perfect life. He paid the price on the cross. He's done everything necessary. Trust in him. He's enough. Gain that grace as a gift. If you are a Christian, let's grow. Let's grow in the grace. He's made us the meal. Let's eat it. We have his grace. Let's grow. Let's be diligent to please him in every way. Wiping out those spots with his grace. Consider a growth group. Trust his patience. Remember that he's waited to save his children. Let's join him in what he's doing. Three, protect your stability. Make sure the voice that's fundamental in your life is God's voice. So my blessing on you for this year, may we lose the weight, may we gain the promotion, may our kids hit many home runs and get all A's. And even if they don't, let's remember that Jesus is coming back to make a new planet and that he saved us by grace. And so because our lives are defined by his grace, we can grow in that grace for his glory. Amen. Are you in? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. It's overwhelming. We doubt it, fear it, but it's lavish. Help us taste it. Help us to know your great love for us. Help us to be washed by that. And then, Lord, I pray for a new motivation in my heart, the heart of everyone here, that we would want to grow, that we would want to dive into this, move forward in this. Help me to be diligent to please you in every aspect of my life by grace. Help us to know that you wait because you're saving and help us to be as passionate for these people that you're saving as you are. Help us to care, help us to risk, to share, to invite. Lord, help us to spend time with you. Teach us how to want to get up and hear what you have to say. Study your word, to cry out to you, to pray to you, to look to you. Help us do this, even just five minutes. 10 minutes. Show us what it means to fellowship with you on a one-to-one basis. Thank you, Lord. This is for your glory, that you want us to grow in your grace. Enable it. Do this. Lord, this is our prayer together for this year. Let us grow in grace in surprising ways for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.